Hi, and welcome to this installment of our new books at the Heyman Center panel podcast, sponsored by Columbia's Office of the Divisional Deans in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, Columbia's Institute for Social and Economic Research and Policy, the Departments of Anthropology and Middle Eastern, South Asian and African Studies, the Ifriqiya Colloquium, the Center for the Study of Muslim Societies, and the Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities. I'm Anne Levitsky. Today's podcast celebrates professor of Middle Eastern, South Asian, and African Studies Brinkley Messick's book, Sharia Scripts, A Historical Anthropology. First, we'll hear assistant professor of religion at Clemson University, Mashal Saif, speaking about Brinkley's book at the panel, and then I'll bring you my interview with professor in the departments of religion and Middle Eastern, South Asian, and African Studies, Gil Anajar. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be here, and I'd like to thank the organizers, um, not all of whom I know. So the folks who I do know, Professor Mamdani, who emailed me um, with an invitation to this event, but the many, many people who I know work behind the scenes, for example, to purchase my ticket and to make my stay here um, as welcoming as possible. And thank you, all of you, for being here. So I'll begin by briefly recapping Dr. Messick's book, and I'll use that recap, particularly in my conversation about location, to launch into at least one important question that I hope we, as a group, have a chance to grapple with. Um, Dr. Messick's scintillating new book charts the historical anthropology of Yemeni legal text and textual practice at a particularly charged time in the region's history the pre-Republican period of the 20th century when the Zaydi Imamate was on the cusp of modernity and before the ravages of the nation state obliterated that era's ethical legal operations. This temporal and geographical focus affords Messick the opportunity to examine one of the very few modern settings of the Sharia which avoided direct colonial rule. Unsurprisingly, then, location is vital to Messick's analysis and argument. He asserts and models the significance of studying the Sharia as a localized practice through a focus on writing in all its genres. These writings range from Sharia court case records, fiqh works, fatwas, and the imams' ikhtiyars, to leases and other documents in private collections. Messick's interest lies in the relations among these various types of texts. He investigates the manners in which localized and context-specific texts, what he terms the archive, are informed by but also impact wide-ranging and unmoored intellectual traditions, that is, the library. Such investigations call for painstaking, meticulous, and detailed microanalyses a task that Messick executes to perfection. Messick's focus on the local leads to several key interventions. Firstly, it enables Messick to bridge the gap between two separate fields of inquiry. The first, primarily performed by Islamists who study the Sharia through a focus on its doctrine and elite texts. The Islamists' emphasis on Sharia doctrine implicitly and at times explicitly deems practiced and lower-level texts as marginal to our understanding of the Sharia enterprise. On the other hand, we have an examination by social historians who focus on the more mundane, quotidian, and very localized documents ranging from court judgments to leases. 
Massive's work is largely unique in bringing these disparate fields in conversation. Additionally, through investigating the connections between the library and the archive, Messick's work challenges studies that lament the disjuncture between theory, between the theory and practice of the Sharia. As Messick rightly notes, much of this criticism emerges from examinations solely on the high scholarship of the Sharia. Messick's fine-grained analysis elucidates the vertical integration of the Sharia. That is, how Sharia doctrines and elite texts are in fact frequently deemed, or are in fact frequently deeply connected in a multiplicity of ways to more mundane and modest localized Sharia texts. In exploring this relationship, interplay, and contrapuntal impact of these different genres on each other, Messick is able to present his readers with the concrete contextual practice of the Sharia while also tracking relations of power and identifying forms of authority corresponding to various genres. Now, while I'm clearly impressed by Messick's scholarship, not just in this work, but you know, in the previous book that he has written, which I loved reading as a grad student, despite you know, my deep um, appreciation for Messick's work, I want to raise a, the question of whether Messick's finding, particularly in this work, might speak to other contexts and other instances of the Sharia. The imamic nature of the polity, the avoidance of colonialism, and the availability of records that elucidate the vertical integration of the Sharia are arguably largely or clearly unique to Yemen in the 20th century. Given that imamic Yemen is possibly an anomaly, should we be hesitant in viewing Messick's findings? particularly regarding his microhistorical analysis of modeling and the Sharia's vertical integration as a large-scale challenge to studies that highlight the gap between the Sharia's theory and practice. This is clearly, I agree that this is definitely an instance, or at least a single instance, in which Messick is able to challenge such discourses. But is that all that there is to Messick's work? Can we take this as a larger scale challenge? I want to put that question forward for all of us. Because this is a broader conversation in which Messick is attempting to intervene. So does his location actually prevent him, the uniqueness of his location, prevent him from making as strong an argument as he might want to make? So I want to put that question forward for all of us. Moving on to a different issue. The question of discipline has been on my mind ever since I read Messick's work. Not just this one, but his previous book, The Calligraphic State, as well. It is impossible to neatly characterize Messick's work. It dances between anthropology, legal studies, Islamic studies, and social history. And I suspect that many of us will agree that it is, that it is heartening to see books that defy such disciplinary boundaries. Moreover, even while situated within anthropology, Messick makes a case for the anthropologist as a reader. I look forward to us discussing what inspiration Messick's work can offer to other scholars who also work at, at such disciplinary intersections. And I'll conclude my remarks on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we'll hear my interview with Professor Gil Anajar. I'm here with Gil Anajar, professor in the departments of religion, MESOS, and ICLS. Thank you so much for speaking with me this morning. Thank you. 
ICS is actually a, a bit of a thing of the past, but I'm obviously still invested. But I uh, uh, right now I'm no longer uh, an active member okay. of ICS. Good. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's all right. Um, so at the panel, you spoke about three different anthropologists: anthropologist as reader, anthropologist as archivist, and anthropologist as historian. And I wanted to know, could you say a little bit more about what you mean by these three categor- categorizations and also how you see them at work in Brinkley's book? Um, I mean, the, the typology came out from Brink's book. Uh, um, on the one hand, he's, he's telling us um, how to read text and, and also um, how to read readers, right? He's looking at people who read text, who engage with the written, uh, with written material, mm-hmm. and, and he's learning from them, um, learning their practice, and, and uh, kind of reiterating that practice, and encouraging um, both anthropologists and scholars, scholars of Islam, to relate to the written material in a way that is richer than philological, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, but also recognizing that reading is in fact a, a, a broader category of, uh, of conduct and, and um, implies many more practices um, than just being in front of a text, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it has to do with rewriting, obviously it has to do with interpreting, uh, interpreting but it also has to do with uh, copying, with, uh, um, um, with inscribing in all kinds of, uh, of ways. So, um, in many ways, um, this is something that is called within the discipline of anthropology, the anthropology of writing, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, looking at authors and writers and copyists and editors and 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 things of uh, like that, um, and um, and so that's one of the uh, threads uh, to follow in in the book. Mm-hmm. I think it raises all kinds of questions about what um, both about what reading means and uh, what it means for us as scholars to kind of reiterate a practice that is not quite the same as what we call scholarly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, it's certainly not the same as theology, um, but but, um, and it also raises the question of what it it means if we are going to learn from that practice, who our audience is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Are we um, reiterating that which those people are doing uh, um, so that we broaden their audience, or are we um, somehow bifurcating away from what they do and their audiences and repackaging it, as it were, right? Um, and Brink addresses all those questions, you know, more or less directly and more or less uh, um, extensively, but that's one, one thread. Mm-hmm. The other is the anthropologist as archivist, uh, in the sense that um, he looks at archives, right? He looks at those textual uh, uh, corpuses, um, corpi, as um, as um, as the object of study. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also constructs the archives, right? On the one hand, he finds them. Oh, look, they kept them in their houses and um, um, in a way that is not kind of state. Uh, centered, right? It's not like there's one central archive, but there's many, many archives, and one uh, goes and looks for them. Mm. Um, and to that extent, what's interesting, I- what's interesting is that on the one hand, he tells us that there is an archive or many archives, and on the other hand, by bringing all those disseminated and um, 
not so not so formalized archives, not quite institutionalized archives. Mm -hmm. He's producing an archive, mm -hmm. and he's telling us, look, if you look at all those together, you can see an archive. But an archive is also kind of state, it's an institutional uh, thing. Right. And the lack of institutions is part of what he both uncovers and erases. Mm. Um, because it should matter that the archive is not simply given. Right? He has to go and look. He goes to people and, and, and to someone's house and goes like, oh, do you have anything? And finds them. So it's not like, oh, look, here's a book. No, uh, um, a priori, there is no archive, mm -hmm. and finding it is 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 inventing it, right? I see. Um, um, and then finally, there's the anthropologist as historian, uh, in the sense that um, uh, he applies Brink applies his anthropological skills to a period that is not the contemporary, mm -hmm. right? Trying to kind of reconstruct something that is not quite pre-colonial. But outside of the colonial, um, um, and certainly outside of the state, um, the nation-state frame, um, which enables something like a recovery of something that is articulated outside of, again, of colonial structures. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not a claim of retrieving some authentic, authentic past, but it is uh, a, an attempt nonetheless to kind of reach through um, a screen and more than a screen that we are all struggling with, right? What, what does it mean to, to go beyond the, the break that the nation state, the colonial state, uh, colonialism in general uh, kind of uh, puts up, which gives us so many of our categories, so many of our understanding. Mm -hmm. so, um, so he's also telling anthropologists to become historians. Now, there's a... a, a, a not very long, but there's some tradition of that. Um, and Brink, of course, is part of uh, the, the Michigan School um, uh, of, you know, history and anthropology. Uh, but I think that there's a particular way in which he practices that and, and, uh, and joins us to, um, to practice that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, 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 the three uh, anthropologists. And I have, um, I have both enthusiasm for the three of them, mm -hmm. and I also have uh, uh, some questions um, about how they fit together, but also what it means to um, um, to advocate those different types of anthropologists. Right. Yeah. I wonder if we could um, return to talking about the existence of the archive, that there is none. Um, and the reason that there is no archive is because it's not in a state or a, a type of institution? Well, also because there is no, uh, there is no project, mm -hmm. right? Um, different uh, scholars and judges and jurists are not, um, are not, um, they're not concerned with any kind of centralization, mm -hmm. right? They preserve, sometimes, not always, they preserve the documents that they receive and produce mm -hmm. um, in their court. Um, once they are no longer there, the judge kind of picks up their whatever they kept, they either take it home or get rid of it, right. and that's it. The court itself is not a, 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 an uh, an archive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't understand itself as an archive. There is no one above the judge or on the side of the judge that says, hey, we're going to take all your documents and we're going to keep them and we're going to make an archive. Right. So there is no, no archiving project. Mm -hmm. There is just the randomness of some judges 
some scholars, some jurists, keeping their archive, but there is no unified project of any kind. Uh, um, and and um, right, if if I go to your office and I go like and 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 then I come to my office and uh, we gather all your papers and all my papers mm -hmm. and we say, look, an academic archive, <laughs> that will be weird, right? right? That will be weird. Um, uh, it will be interesting. Right. All kinds of things can be done. Uh, one can say, oh, completely different scholars, but they have this in common, they have that in common. Um, they share all kinds of practices. We may share more than we even know mm -hmm. um, by virtue of, of, uh, of the practices that we're involved in. But to generate from that archive uh, a kind of picture will have something artificial about it. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it will tell us something, but it will also create something new in 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 a certain way. Right, right, right. Yeah. So the 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 project that brings us of archivizing these texts is presenting them in a light that may not that may that clearly masks certain things and brings certain things, but yeah. And it creates a new object uh, uh, um, because part of the practice of the scholars mm -hmm. that he's interested in uh, does not involve what he's doing. Right. And the same is true for the kind of writing that he produces, right? Mm -hmm. He writes about writing, but that extra step does not quite correspond to uh, a step within the practice that he describes. Right. right? And, um, and so there's, um, there's something that is and is not description. There's something that is and is not a continuation. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this gets to another question, which is uh, adjacent. Um, you brought up also the relationship of history and the reconst and reconstruction to the Yemeni people at the panel, um, especially with regard to a few questions. What can these histories tell us about the present moment? Uh, what type of history should we do when faced with the text like the one Sprinkley focuses on in the book? And I wondered if you could say a little bit more about um, maybe how those are relating to his project and also uh, about the work that you see history doing here and how maybe we as scholars should interact with it. So that's kind of a big <laughs> tripartite question. I mean, I think uh, um, um, the, 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 um, the entry point I find, aside from the fact that there's an explicit argument being made for, for history and for, uh, for the study of history and for history writing, on the part of, a, of an avowed anthropologist, right? So an anthropologist says, um, studying the present, as anthropologists do, uh, however layered, yes, and sedimented, and, and in fact historical it might be, mm -hmm. it's not the same as to say, as an anthropologist, I'm going to study a, 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 a present that is past. Right. Um, so for the anthropologist to transform him or herself into a historian mm -hmm. is not a neutral um, uh, gesture. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you could see how historians might go, well, you're uh, stepping on our, uh, uh, on our toes here. Um, um, historians might also say, well, that's not the way to do history. Mm. Um, but historians might also say, yes, uh, we've been telling you for a long time that, you know, real study has to be the study of history, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and there's a way in which I think Brink would not disagree. So I come in at the moment when, okay, but there are many ways of understanding the world and history is one way, it's not the only way and, and, and 
um, as uh, um, as all historians know, there's a distinction between history as that which happened and history as that which is written. Mm-hmm. And historians know that, and sometimes they nonetheless confuse the two, right? right? Um, and so I want to be careful if one of my non-historian colleague says, yeah, we can do history, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right. Um, oh, like for me... Oh, it's another one that has converted to, uh, uh, um, you know, to um, in my bad days I would say to the evil, evil empire, <laughs> uh, um, uh, to to uh, a form of knowledge that is a very definite form of knowledge that should not be universal. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, uh, it it simply should not be. We are in a university, which means there are many modes of knowledge, and yeah. we should preserve them. Um, the other uh, uh, entry point is something that Brink says uh, at the end, where he he um, he basically says, uh, "Yemen, the Yemeni people has become aware of the importance of studying history, um, and more urgently today." Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm asking myself, "Are we really think thinking still that the lessons of history is something are something that are?" going to, what, save us, redeem <laughs> us, improve us. Um, it's not so granted, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, as a body of texts, um, historical scholarship uh, has never been so massive, right? We've never known so much about history. Do we consider that we have learned <laughs> from history? Are, are we seeing a world the, that is so much better because now we have so much more historical knowledge. Right. Um, are we really thinking that if only we could do a little more, then we will um, we will have learned from history? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously skeptical of that uh, claim, and I'm skeptical of it as a national project. Right. Mm. So the Yemeni people learning their history will you know rise to a better place. Uh, particularly in a time of war, like, uh, um, um, is this really what's going to... Uh, um, now, I'm obviously, I don't want to take the complete opposite path and say, you know, let's let's drop history uh, entirely and, and throw the whole thing to the, uh, uh, to the garbage. But, uh, um, but that's, um, um, but there should be um, some, you know, irony to the to the claim that learning history uh, also means learning from um, history, right. so that's my uh, 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 my uh, general issue. I do think, you know, coming from uh, a, a more kind of literary or even philological um, uh, background, not necessarily the fully historical one, but the way in which philology, you know, ala Nietzsche may actually interrogate the privileging of history. Right. Um, that there is something very rich about the reading of text and the writing of text that Brink uh, presents to us mm-hmm. as something that might actually push against history and even against historicization, mm-hmm. against periodization, right? That there are practices that are coming to us from, um, uh, let's say, indeterminate past, mm-hmm. um, and whether we want to call it pre-modern or pre-colonial or, or, or not call it at all, but just say it's there and it doesn't correspond to modern forms of knowledge mm-hmm. uh, as we are familiar with them, that that might actually push against the kind of knowledge that we 
have and that we practice, that we foster, mm-hmm. um, and that we might let ourselves be interrogated by a very different sense of history, right? Sure. Um, the way in which the citations, the, 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 the practice of citation mm-hmm. is uh, completely oblivious to this was first, this was second, right? Uh, or, or this was in the 12th century and this was in the 15th. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem to be the organizing principle and there might be something to learn from that, right? right. Uh, there might be something to learn from medieval um, music mm-hmm. um, that, um, that is not simply, oh, well, but it was only true for that context, mm-hmm. right? Let's make sure that the past is past okay. and we should nonetheless learn from it. Uh, even that notion of learning from history is, is in fact recognizing that the past is not simply past and perhaps should not be. Right. Um, and for historians, the study of the past is the study of the past mm-hmm. for the future, from the perspective of the present, but nonetheless as past. And mm-hmm. I think that what Brink is telling us is actually that the past may not be past. Right. right. That it may still be with us in ways that we have to work to recognize and that there might be some good in that, some, uh, um, something much more productive than just learning from history, but rather recognizing our present. Right. As, as being more layered. Right, and you said something at the panel um, about... Uh, hang on just a minute. Um, when you were talking about the anthropologist as reader, and I'm seeing now how all of these three anthropologists are speaking to each other and are commenting on each other, what would it mean to recognize oneself as a reader of a tradition that isn't distant, but that acts upon one... Um, or the texts that structure a certain form of existence. And I think, yeah, in that instance, the past might no longer be the past, but instead... Right. And, and of course, we have, uh, uh, let's call it a fourth anthropologist, we have the anthropologist who actually becomes native, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something um, that almost sounds like that in, in Brink. It doesn't go all the way. But there's a moment when you, you kind of wonder, wait, maybe what we should be doing is go and study with those scholars, right? Mm-hmm. Sit with them in their courts, uh, um, um, l- learn their archive with them, mm-hmm. and become them, right? Um, now, again, Brink doesn't go all the way to that, but there's something, it, one can feel a certain temptation, mm-hmm. right? Um, that the retrieval of that tradition is also its reenactment. But its reenactment, obviously, is not going to take place in the university. Right. Or if it is, then the university is going to have to change, you know, what it thinks about itself. Right. And that is a challenge, mm-hmm. right? It's actually a challenge. Like, wait a minute. It's not just we academics going to Yemen to study, you know, the Yemenis. But it might be that by studying them, we might rethink what it is that we're doing. Okay. And... You know, I'm, I'm not sure how open we all are to that, um, but I think that we should hear that challenge. And, and it seems to me that we hear it otherwise if we don't say, well, that's history. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. A lot of really interesting questions about what discipline is and how we divide it and also how we think about ourselves as 
historian, anthropologist, archivist. So, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast, celebrating Brinkley Messick's Sharia scripts, a historical anthropology. I hope you'll join us next time when we discuss Hamid Dabashi's The Shaname, the Persian epic as world literature. From Columbia University's Society of Fellows and Heyman Center for the Humanities, I'm Anne Levitsky.